Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, where we take a look at some of the biggest problems facing our world. I'm Maggie Fox. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust with bite-sized insights into ways to help address challenges such as infectious diseases, climate change, and pollution. A One Health approach recognizes that everything on this planet, the animals, plants and people, and the climate and environment are all linked. The world's just been through a pandemic, a bad one that killed a confirmed 7 million people and likely at least twice or even four times that many. Although experts have been warning for decades that the risk of a pandemic caused by a respiratory virus like COVID was 100%, the world acted like it was a big surprise. And even now, four years after COVID first started to spread, the world remains underprepared for the next one. There's a group dedicated to prodding world leaders into doing better. It's called the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, and it's convened jointly by the World Health Organization and the World Bank. In this episode, we're chatting with one of the board's two co-chairs, Her Excellency Kolinda Grabar-Kitarovic. Ms. Grabar-Kitarovic was president of Croatia from 2015 to 2020, the first woman in that job. Before that, she was Croatia's Minister of Foreign Affairs, ambassador to the U.S., and was Assistant Secretary General of NATO. She's, of course, an expert in preparedness and has a lot to say about what the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board calls the perilously fragile state of world readiness. Excellency, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. You've been involved for some years in pandemic planning. How would you personally rate the global response to COVID? I believe that the last report that the GPMB issued the, towards the end of last year describes it all. Fragile state of preparedness, as uh, we have called it. So we issued a warning that uh, the fragile progress to strengthen preparedness uh, that was made in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic is at risk. And the world's uh, capacities and capabilities to deal with a potential new pandemic threat uh, remain inadequate. This report, I mean, it's very grim. It uses unusually frank language. It's talking about a lack of trust, and, and you've referred to some of the things the world needs to do. It's a very long and frightening list. How has this all gone so badly wrong? I would say that it paints a realistic picture of the state of the world preparedness for the next pandemic at this point. What is important to mention is that this is the first report that is based uh, on our monitoring framework, which includes 90 indicators. And that monitoring framework is um, unique in the sense that refers not specifically to individual country preparedness, but to global preparedness. And out of the 90 indicators, we use 30 indicators that pertain to the areas that we believe are of crucial importance to move forward, and that is equity, leadership, and accountability, and coherence. The GPMB report of 2019 warned of an imminent pandemic of a respiratory Ill illness, and we saw COVID-19 strike just weeks after the report was issued, and the world was not prepared then. Uh, today, not enough has changed despite the catastrophic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the global response at the time fell short on several fronts. First, it was the sluggish initial report. 
we had a delayed response to the pandemic, and there was definitely lack of global coordination first to respond to the health crisis that we were dealing with. And in parallel with the evolvement and spread of that health crisis was also lack of coordination to alleviate impact on the economic sectors that were hit hardest, such as trade and tourism, and those industries that were dependent on a global supply chain, which suffered in enormously during the first wave in 2020. There was also a demonstrated lack of surge capacity. Hospitals were overwhelmed and, and stretched the breaking point. And what was also worse is that hospitals had to suspend routine care, such as surgeries and management and chronic illnesses, which uh, resulted in significant COVID deaths. And I would say undetected cancer and lack of management of other chronic diseases. Then what we also saw, what very much prompted me to get involved in PPPR is inequity in access to medical countermeasures. And that issue of inequity in access remained inadequately addressed globally throughout all of this time. I saw that access to countermeasures, to vaccines, to therapeuticals, to testing depended very much on the place where you were born and on your financial needs rather than on the right of every single individual to health. And it, this all led to the erosion of trust, which was um, the result of inequity and lack of solidarity. Excellency, you mentioned financial planning and responsibility. Who's responsible for paying for all this? Well, the financing is one of the aspects that we underline in particular in our report of last year. So it's the second area that we talk about, strengthening the global financial system. And in this, there isn't a black and white or there isn't a single solution. Right now, we have the pandemic fund as the largest uh, global mechanism to finance preparedness uh, and uh, prevention and response to pandemics. However, it is falling very short of the estimated $10 billion per year that is required for the pandemic fund to be efficient. And it's not just the amount of funding, it's also channeling to the right priorities. And it's also about the sources of that funding. So it cannot just be donor assistance. We cannot just rely on overseas development assistance, which is shifting elsewhere. I mean, we as humans have this propensity to keep our attention short on any particular problem. So whenever a new crisis emerges, such as the war in Ukraine, etc., you know, we shift our focus and we stop talking about the particular problem that hasn't disappeared at all as the virus is still out there and we don't know whether it's going to get worse or not. So while significant funds were mobilized during COVID-19, it was limited to a number of countries. The access to financial support has been slow and sufficient to meet the needs of all countries. And we're talking in particular those countries who are still in the different stages of development and who cannot afford to pay a lot for healthcare because they're overburdened with many other issues. So on the one hand, international financing is one of the sources, but the bulk of the resources should come from national financing. Again, a number of countries perhaps wouldn't have a problem with that, although they're shifting priorities according to geopolitical issues and needs. However, there is a number of countries who are so preoccupied with, for instance, debt servicing, or who are trying to balance investment into security, investment into education, investment into healthcare, etc. 
in order to be able to cover for the needs uh, of their population. So we need to find ways how to boost domestic financing, which also involves all of us, the international community, in order to make it easier for any particular country to service the debt and to be able to dedicate the appropriate amounts of for PPR. So we, when we talk about financing, I, let me just draw a parallel. It's whether you're going to build a house that is made of wood or of bricks, whether it's going to sustain the fire or not. It also makes me think of that children's fable of uh, the three little pigs. The first one built a house of straw. The second one built a house of sticks. And the third one built a house of bricks. When the big bad wolf came, which is the pandemic, it was only the house made with bricks that sustained the blow. So this goes to say that investing into a healthy infrastructure that is necessary for PPPR is an absolutely necessary precondition in order to be able to make this process successful. And you know, that is a great analogy, the three pigs. Well, because the first two, they built their houses very quickly. They got to relax. And that's part of the lesson, right? It is harder to build a house of bricks. Absolutely. But it is necessary. It takes longer. It takes more dedication. It takes a lot more funding and investment, but it pays off. And also, you know, for me, investing into healthcare uh, in general, not just PPR, is in, like investing into insurance. You think you're not going to need it, but when you do need it, it has to be there. It has to protect you. Ms. Grabar-Kitarovic, can you tell us how you came to be involved in this kind of planning? You've done a lot of things. You've been a head of state. What got you so interested in this in particular? My involvement and the interests with uh, healthcare became actually when I became a mother. When uh, I was reading everything in order to be able to raise my kids in the best way possible that I could humanly do that it very much depended, again, on how much you can pay where you are born and where your uh, children get their primary care. And I realized that a lot of people have simply misconceptions about healthcare that are based on urban tales or misinformation and disinformation. And a lot of people neglect preventive healthcare, which is crucial, crucial even when you look at the pandemic. For countries to analyze the data, why there was such a, a high mortality rate per capita, they should look at the reasons why it was so. And it is very well known that COVID-19 affected people with comorbidities in particular. So why are there so comorbidities? Is the preventive healthcare not working? Are individuals not aware that they're suffering of one of the comorbidities such as diabetes or high blood pressure, etc.? Or are they even informed about what is going on? And then the second aspect was also when I was working throughout my career that I saw so many people denied access to healthcare based on their gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic background. So it's all over the world. It's also developed countries. I dare say the U.S. as well. If you don't have, if you haven't paid enough for your healthcare or your health insurance, you don't have access to all the healthcare that is available. So equity is immensely important to me. And the third aspect was I was obviously very frustrated with the pandemic because I had just left office in mid-February of 2020. And suddenly, after an incredibly active, adrenaline-filled life, I was grounded in my apartment. I had to quarantine myself because I had just come back from the U.S., 
And I started looking at everything that was going on. And, you know, the vacuum that was left by lack of proper communication, especially evidence and science-based information, the vacuum that was filled by misinformation and disinformation and conspiracy theories about vaccination on COVID-19, but also vaccination in general, is what really got me going. So I got involved with the WPL Women Political Leaders, became their global ambassador for immunization, not just COVID-19, but all vaccine-preventable diseases. And then little by little got involved into the process of trying to bring vaccine to the rest of the world, especially in the areas where people could not afford it or they didn't have access to it. But it was also about geopolitical divisions that we had and and that lack of trust that was an impediment to a more efficient response to the pandemic in order to prevent further spreading of the disease. So I was trying to find any way that I could to be involved. And in that sense, I started cooperating also with WHO, with Dr. Tedros himself and and many other people. And that somehow led to this process of mine being part of the GPMB um, as well. But you're really in a good position to do that, aren't you? You've been head of state of, it's not a new country, but re-emerging that's at the borderline between Western Europe and the rest of the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there, how that makes you suited to kind of cross these divisions? Yes, I have a lot of experience, national and international, and in many different settings. I left home at 17 when I became a foreign exchange student in the U.S., so I've been traveling around the world ever since and trying to implement whatever experience I have gained and in particular in Croatia's fight for independence and then later on for a reconciliation, rebuilding. So all of these aspects of the international crisis and having worked in international settings, I do understand the complications of geopolitics, how geopolitics really complicate any issue. And the fact that negotiations on the political declaration of the high-level meeting last September in New York, as well as the ongoing negotiations on the pandemic accord, are very much burdened by geopolitics and mistrust. And the fact that anything that comes out of the UN is unfortunately the lowest common denominator that everybody can agree to. So it's not necessarily the best outcome. But it's something that everyone can agree to. But it's already when it has been agreed, it's a great start. So we need to build upon that in order to find mechanisms, how to make the concepts, how to translate them into practice. Excellency, we've talked a lot about government and international organizations and what they should be doing. But why should the average person even care? And what can they do? Because it affects all of us. All of our lives have been uh, turned upside down. And a health emergency is not something that we can isolate from in any way. With globalization, with global means of transportation, the virus can be here anytime. And with the, the spread of the viruses and with the many zoonotic transmissions that we have seen from animals to humans, 
it's actually very difficult to say to what degree or when we can have the next pandemic. But certainly, the, there is always a realistic possibility of having the next pandemic. And we do not want for that, at least I definitely do not want for the next pandemic to disrupt my life. And least of all, we would want to suffer from the physical and the mental consequences of uh, any disease um, that could potentially be even worse than COVID-19. Excellency, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do share it. You can learn a lot more about this podcast and other important topics at onehealthtrust.org. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at owoh at onehealthtrust.org. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.